my scruffy beard is getting mixed reviews. You cannot see it unless they do a close-up on me, all right? But it's there. Already, it is bearing fruit. I'm wearing it in November to emphasize the need among the foster children, praying for foster parents. I explained that in a meeting this week, and someone came up afterward and said, God has convicted me, and I'm going to have to find out more about this. I believe he may be wanting me to be a foster parent. So it's a big uh, responsibility and a high calling, but we have a great need that people will respond. I told that group there are 700 foster children on the North Shore, the largest region in our state, and only 200 or so foster families. And so the need is great. Sometimes we have to keep children who are removed from their homes because they are too dangerous to stay in. We have to keep them in jail overnight looking for foster families. And we can do something about this as the Church of Jesus Christ that knows we are to care for orphans and widows. So that's why the beard. And I have some more opportunities to speak. I'm going to keep telling people why I am scruffy. Now, Esther and Mordecai have been in a conversation. Mordecai discovered that Haman's plot was real that he'd offered a huge amount of money to the treasury in Persia to carry that plot forward, that they were going to exterminate all the Jews in the kingdom of Persia. He discovered this, and he passed it on to Esther, and he told Esther that she needed to intervene with the king. Esther responded by saying, it's been 30 days since the king called for me, and there's only one law. If you appear in the king's presence without an invitation, you die. The only exception is if he extends his scepter to you. So we pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, verse 15. Mordecai responds to her by saying, Who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He says, If you remain silent, God will raise up relief and deliverance. Relief and deliverance will come from another place. You and your family, though, will be lost. And who knows? Maybe this is your time. Verse 15 of chapter 4, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. If I perish, I perish. 
You got to pick your battles, right? Not everything is worth a battle. You got to pick your battles. Somebody said wisely. Somebody in this room is now deciding whether you're going to fight something or not. You're deciding if you're going to pick your battle. Sometimes we say, that's just not a mountain worth dying on. I said that to myself when I was suspended on a rock cliff about 60 feet down. I'd been working my way up without any harness or strap, going on the little crevices and toeholds until I got about 10 feet from the top. And I couldn't find another toehold or another crevice. And spread-eagled on that rock surface, I panicked. And then I said to myself, you are a stupid man. (laughs) Because you are about to tumble to your death. Why, Crosby, why? That's what I thought. I called my brother Tom, who's 15 months younger than I, and he told me that I had developed a fear of heights, something I never had earlier. He said, I knew you had developed a fear of heights when I looked around for you on that mountain peak in Big Bend where the tower is. There's just a pile of rocks that we scrambled up to get to the top. I got up there, said hello, and left, you know. And he looked around and said, where did David go? I said, I just didn't want to fall. Well, I'd already introduced him to the idea that I was more cautious than he at Mount St. Helens. Same thing, man. Mount St. Helens is a mountain I didn't want to die on. We got to the place that said, do not go beyond this point. And we went on past that point. Why we did that? I don't know. We left tracks where no man has ever tracked before. And got to the place where the rubble was just a cliff. And Tom says, I'm going to climb up there. You knock down a rock, it goes ding, 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 down into the crater. I said, we're not climbing that. I had to drag him away. He said, where's your courage, David? I said, this is not a mountain we're dying on, okay? I'm not dying on Mount St. Helens. Maybe you're deciding whether your mountain is worth dying on. Something has come up in your life. You got a critical decision to make. Maybe there's a critical issue in your company or your business or your institution. And you're wondering about what is the right thing? What should I do? Is this a mountain worth dying on? Esther is a great place to get sound advice when you are facing a crisis. And you must make a decision. When things are at risk, prepare in prayer and fasting. That's what Esther did. Esther said to Mordecai, okay, uncle, you want me to charge in there? Mordecai was saying, yep, you got to go. He knew the great risk. He loved Esther. He'd raised her since her parents died. But he knew she had to go. It was her time. Such a time as this, you've come to the kingdom. And he was urging her to go. And Esther is saying back, okay, I'm going to go. But I want something from you, uncle. For the next three days, I want people to pray. 
You prepare in prayer. We forget that too often. We've got a difficult conversation. We have an important interview. We're about to go see if we're going to get the job. The boss has called us in for a conference. And we forget the simplest part of our faith, which is we are praying people. Men ought to pray. We ought to pray. You prepare in prayer. Now, Esther had a very specific point of prayer, and you should have the same, okay? She prayed specifically about appearing in the king's presence and the moment that he saw her. That was her specific concern. I have people call me sometimes and say, pray for me at 10 o'clock, I'm going to be in this interview, or I have a conference, or there's a difficult issue I've got to do, pray for me at 10 o'clock. I think it is important that we are specific in our prayer. And if you've got something facing you, a decision that needs to be made, it's, it's risky, it's costly, you ought to pray. You say, now, pastor, I don't see the word prayer in this passage. It's true, okay? The word prayer is not in the passage. The word fast is in the passage. But we've already seen that the book of Esther never uses the name of God nor any substitute for it, nor does it use any religious language other than fast, if you count that. And non-religious people even fast. But she calls for this fast because repeatedly throughout the book, we see that she, along with her uncle Mordecai, are trusting in the providence of God. And she's asking the covenant people, the children of Abraham, to pray for her. All of the folks in Susa to pray for her as well as fast. Now, it's interesting that she solicits the prayers of other people. Somebody might say, well, Esther... You're a powerful prayer in your own right. God will hear your prayers. Why do you need other people praying? Somebody might have said that to Jesus the night in which he was betrayed. Because he invited his friends to pray with him and to pray for him. In fact, he had a specific prayer for them. Pray for me, pray for yourselves in this moment. He knew the time of testing was close at hand and he wanted them to pray for him. And he invited three of them to join him in prayer. Yes, he did go off by himself, but still he involved his friends in prayer. When we get in a crisis, we just naturally put out the word. Say, I've got something coming up. I want you to pray for me. Part of it is that we want our brothers and sisters, people of faith, to know what's going on in our lives, to understand where we are in our journey because we're journeying together in this Christian life. We're we're sharing the life of Christ as a community and we want people to know where we are. Sometimes we try to go it alone. And oftentimes, that's just not the wisest course. It is better for Esther to send out the word. Well, the prayer request went far and wide, just like they did for that little boy I held in my arms at the first of this service. The prayer call went far and wide until the sun never set 
on the prayers that were sent to the Father on that little boy's behalf. You say, now, preacher, why do we want people praying for us? I don't know that I can explain all the mystery of prayer, but I can certainly say to you, it is the common practice of people in covenant with God, people who trust in the Lord Jesus, in the Bible, even in the old covenant, to ask others to pray for them, to mobilize the church on behalf of the need. The apostles did that. They gathered in prayer meetings where they met together to pray. I challenge you to do the same. Although we may not be able to explain all the mystery of prayer, we do know that it is the biblical model and we ought to have folks praying for us. Now, it's interesting. Esther got her attendants to pray for her and with her. We're going to fast too. So their little circle there in the palace, they were praying. I don't know how many. I don't know whether she said, we are all going to fast, or whether she said, I invite you to fast and pray with me because I've got something important that's coming up. Whatever, however, she solicited the prayers not only of the Jews in the city of Susa, but of the attendants who took care of her in the royal palace. Everybody. Fasting is something that the people of God have done for all these generations. Jesus, however, was an anomaly when it came to fasting. In fact, the disciples of John came to Jesus in the middle of one of their weekly fasts, and they said, hey, why are you and your disciples not fasting? I mean, the Pharisees are fasting, and John's disciples are fasting, so why aren't you fasting? And Jesus says, well, the bride can't be fasting as long as the bridegroom's with them. When the bridegroom's gone, then they'll fast. That's how he responded. And his critics said, well, John comes neither eating nor drinking, and we say he's got a demon. But Jesus comes both eating and drinking, and we say, you know, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. That's how they characterized Jesus. Jesus enjoyed the fruit of the ground, the good things of life, It's interesting that the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament doesn't really call for a fast. As far as I can find, there's no command to fast. There's an acknowledgement that sometimes the church does fast. But I think it is a good discipline that gives you focus for the prayer need at hand to change the way you eat. Because you eat not only three times a day, but sometimes what? 10, 15, 20 times a day, peanuts, candy, you know. I mean, it's almost perpetual with me, way too often. Am I popping things in my mouth, little treats? So if I say, I'm going to fast for the next couple days, it reminds me of the prayer need that is before me and when I think you know I'd like I remember I'm praying for something important in my life or in somebody else's life so it is good to fast and pray if we do it in a proper way in a healthy way Esther called on all the people of Susa Mordecai mobilized them they had a great prayer meeting once you prepare in prayer then you proceed with determination. 
Nothing you do that is challenging and risky and costly is accomplished without resistance, internal and external. You come to a decision. You calculate the risk. And at that moment, you've got to say, if this is the right thing to do, then now I'm going to trust, not just in my wisdom or in my strength, I'm going to trust in the God to whom I have prayed. All right? I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust in the power of God now. I'm going into this meeting. I'm going into this interview. I'm going into this conference. I'm going to make this confrontation. And I'm going to trust that God is with me, that his power is with me, and that he's going to do what I cannot do on my own. We have prayed. Now we stand in faith. You say, well, I don't know 100%. What's the right thing to do? Sometimes you don't know 100%. All right? Sometimes you're like Mordecai. Who knows? But this is why you've come to the kingdom for this time. Sometimes it's a deep conviction in your heart that it's right. It's the right thing to do. You need, you need the confidence of conviction in order to proceed down a path that is costly and risky you need to believe deeply that what you are doing is right that it is good that it is true to the information and true to the character of God when you proceed with determination and you have the confidence of your conviction then you can tackle anything I think about those three Hebrew children the king makes a statue 90 feet tall looks kind of like him he wants everybody to bow down Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego they wouldn't bow he gets them into his presence. He says, look, I'm going to give you guys another chance. Maybe you misunderstood. And the three Hebrew children said, oh, wait, we don't need another chance. Look, our God is able to deliver us, O king. But even if he does not, we are not going to serve your God or bow down to your idol. We're just not going to do it. He is able. The three Hebrew children were saying, we're not going to bow. If we perish, we perish. Just as Esther said, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do what I believe is right. And if I perish, I perish. Make sure when you make your decision that there's no shade of corruption or dishonesty in it. Examine your heart and your motives. Because if there's any impure strain in the action that you take, it will haunt you later on. You got to be understanding of yourself enough that you know, you know, this is what you believe is right to do. And it's a conviction. It's not just an opinion. You're convicted. It's the right thing to do. 
We've prayed about it. It's consistent with the character of God and the teaching of Scripture. And therefore, you're going to do it. You're going to have this confrontation. You're going to say these things to the boss. You're going to speak this word to power because you believe deeply that it is the right thing to do. Then you proceed with determination. You trust in the power of God. You have confidence in your conviction. And if things should blow up and you get the axe, you will not be troubled by the notion that you tried to do something wrong. You will stand in the confidence that you did what you believed was right. I tell you, there's nothing like that place of peace where you are acting in what you believe is right. You have prayed about it. You have thought about it. And you believe it is the right thing to do. So even if it all blows up, even if the king doesn't raise his scepter, you still have a peace that what you did, the action you took, was right. You say, I just don't know if I have the courage to do that. I think Esther struggled with that. Maybe Esther looked at her life and thought, you know, I've never done anything like this. I mean, I've just been a young lady, not really making big decisions. And here I am facing this enormous challenge. And I don't know if it's within me. Sometimes we suppose that there's just a pool of courage in some people. Not so. You get it when you step into the risk and not before. Corey Ten Boom, as a little girl, said, Father, these terrible things that are coming may be coming on us. I don't know if I can do it. And Corey's father said, and he would die later on at the hands of the Nazis. Corey's father said, Corey, when we take the train, when do I give you the money for the fare? And little girl Corey said, when I get on the train. And her father said, that's what God will do with you. That's what God will do with you. That's what God does with people who are willing to step out and take a risk when they believe it is the right thing to do at the moment of need. God gives the courage. You say, I don't have the strength. And you won't have the strength till you take the step and you say, I'm going to do what I believe is right. And then God supplies in that moment the courage and strength that you need to walk that path that you never would have envisioned yourself walking before. But he provides it in the moment of need. I think about Martin Luther King. I've been thinking about him. I've run across several things. I saw the Plessy versus Ferguson plaque down uh, near the French Quarter. The separate but equal decision came out of New Orleans and Louisiana. And it was ruled by the court that it was constitutional, this separate but equal. And Martin Luther King challenged that in civil disobedience. And he led the marches. He put himself out there. He put himself at risk. He believed it was right. And over and over again, if you look through history, people who make a difference in their time step out and take a risk with the deep conviction that what they are doing is right. 
And God gives his strength. He gives his courage in the moment when you step out. It's like the power steering in your car. You're driving along, the power steering's not doing anything until you turn. And when you turn, all of a sudden this power is available to you because you've taken action. The people who experience the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in their lives are the people who do like Esther did. At a moment of time, they take the courage to do what they feel called to do and what is right to do. And they experience in that moment that they are the agent of God in their place and their time. God will supply what you need. Jesus had a courage when he went to the cross that was amazing to me. And it's the kind of courage God gives people like Esther who are going forward on behalf of others into a path of suffering. He gives them the courage to do the right thing even though it is the hard thing and to do it for others. The cross kind of courage is caring about other people, boldly doing what you know is right, even when you yourself are in pain. Let's bow together. There may be somebody here as we bow our heads and close our eyes who is facing a big decision. Maybe something's going on in your family, your business, your personal life. You've been thinking about what you're going to do and you, you really hadn't done it yet, but you'd like somebody to pray for you. I want to pray for you. When you lift your hand, God's going to see that hand. That's most important, but it's an acknowledgement that God, I'm identifying myself as somebody at a crossroads, somebody with a need, somebody with a crisis, a decision in my life. And I'm saying I need your help. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute, but if that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody needs to look around. Yes. God bless you. I see. God sees. See the hands all across the auditorium. This is a time of decision for me. I'm struggling with something. I want prayer. Anybody else? Okay. God bless you. Yes. In the back. Yes. God bless you. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've seen these hands all across this auditorium. Brothers and sisters who are identifying themselves as at a point of decision in a situation of crisis, needing your wisdom, your courage, your direction. God, I pray for them. These brothers and sisters, we all pray for them. We bring our prayers together as a covering upon them. Lord, we pray that you would give them all that they need in this time of decision. Help them to understand the situation they are in. Help them to have wisdom, to see things from the right perspective. God, give them courage to act upon what they believe is right. Lord, if this is a mountain to die on for somebody in the room, then God, show them and lead them by your hand. Give them the strength that only you can provide. Provide that courage that they need at this moment, at this time. God, we pray that in every life, you will help them to find the path that is good and right and true. 
and the courage to walk it. God, do your work in us. Lord, we so want to be your instruments in the place where you've planted us. Thank you for the example of Jesus who went forward, though it was costly, though it was painful, doing the thing that was right and good and true in order that he might gather us, his church, into the fold. Lord, may we follow our Savior in whose name we pray. Amen.